Welcome back to episode 191 of Tall Boy Radio. And this week we are going to be taking care of business. So we always say, who knows where it goes when the beer flows? Well, let's find out by talking to these two guys that have joining me tonight as hosts. Gaz, the Karen Brady of the podcast. I thought you were going to go with the Theo Pafitis then, rather than the Karen Brady, but I'll, t- I'll take Karen Brady. She's a very successful lady, and there's there's been a couple of little teasers as to what this podcast might be about, but it's always good, always good to be back um, with the guys, always good to be chatting, and without giving too much away, always great to have a guest on, and a guest that hasn't appeared with us previously, so really, really, really looking forward to this, and again, you know, thank you very much to our guests for giving up their time to to sort of talk about what it is they're going to talk about and to join us on the podcast. And as ever, no doubt, there'll be a bit of a left turn along the way. So, No doubt, no doubt. And the other member of our team who's going to be asking the questions and judging harshly is Mr. Alan Sugar himself for the podcast, David. God, what are you queuing this up for, Adam? Uh, welcome, listeners. Uh, really looking forward to tonight's episode. It's going to be a good one. Indeed, indeed. And I, of course, with my big bald head, would have to be Claude Littner. <laughs> so, as we said, we are joined by a guest tonight, and he is a man from the business world. He's a friend of David's. I have to say David now, because you know him formally. You will have known him after 2013. We've known him from before then, when he called himself Dave. So, Alex, did you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for introducing me. And hello, David. Yeah, so Alex Priest, I am a business owner, a dad of three little ones, and a husband to to my wife. And what do I do in terms of Tillow? So my business is a embedded reward and incentive gift card platform. What the hell is that? What does that mean? What does it do? That sounds really techy. Really simply, we provide businesses like David's company the ability to procure gift cards for about 2,000 brands or so in a really simple kind of slick manner, ultimately. So we work with lots of reward, incentive, employees or businesses, the government when it comes to issuing free school meals, big fintechs like Klarna, Revolut, PayPal, and lots of little startups as well that use gift cards as a way of giving cash back and making a a consumer or an employee's money go further by allowing to give some of the merchant rebate or commission to that customer um, or employee to make, make that money go further. Been doing the business for about seven years, 100 people or so, there are thereabouts. I live here in Brighton and Hove. Yeah, business is is challenging but you know what business isn't indeed i must admit i'm glad you've explained it for me exactly how it works because when david said he was inviting you on the podcast i had a little bit of look at tillo i have to say it's not a business that i'd heard of before and i guess you know i'm not somebody who deals much with gift cards don't know about yourself gazza so it was yeah it was a bit of a revelation when i was reading about everything that you did when i was doing a little bit of research that i do for these episodes i have to say didn't thoroughly understand everything as I was reading it and, and how you operate and how you make your money. So just out of interest then, how did you get into that? Yeah, good question. Especially from some, you know, I get, I, it's a bit of an odd sort of career path in that I used to jump out of airplanes when I jumped, when I left school. So I didn't really know what to do. And the only real place for me to go other than causing trouble, was to go into the the military and follow my grandfather's footsteps. And my brother actually followed my footsteps as well. So I did seven years there, thereabouts in the military as a forward air reconnaissance trooper. So basically I was building the battle picture up for the generals and all that sort of stuff. So we would bring the intel back, go very, very far forward into enemy lines and then sort of report back on what the battle picture sort of looked like. And I was in the air kind of born brigade, so we used to jump out of airplanes with light armoured vehicles and stuff like that. Did active tours in Iraq and in Bosnia. But the transition from military to sort of civilian world was one of just taking sort of ownership um, and one where, you know, the things that I wanted in life and wanted to sort of commit to weren't able to be achieved within the military, especially if you, you know, you've been told what to do for six, seven years. You either love that and you love that cotton wool that's wrapped around you and you've got that safe environment to sort of 
have routine and sort of the ability to think within those walled gardens, if you will. And then you've got, you know, people that want to sort of try and test other things. And I think for me, it was always, always about sort of trying to learn and turn my hand to something a bit different, which I, I ended up going into an e-commerce world, just some, just simple business, really, just wanting to go in, start something, selling, buying, doing anything other than cleaning weapons on a every day on a Friday. So how many times did you jump out of a plane then, just out of an inch? Just out of inch? I'll tell you this, I, I did it once. That was more than enough for me. Not that many, actually. I think my brother's done about a few hundred, I think. I've only done 12. So I've, I've actually not done that many times, to be fair, compared to some people. I mean, it's very expensive, first off. The military don't just allow you to jump out of planes whenever you feel like you want to do that. You have to do two jumps a year to be qualified to be airborne, I think. So to have your wings on your shoulder, you need to do two two jumps a year. And I did it. It was like, that was probably, I don't know, six jumps or so that to sort of get qualified there or thereabouts, one night one and, and sort of go from there. But yeah, all exciting stuff. Fair play, fair play. So first of all, I have a cousin who's in the American military and he will give me some stick if I don't thank you for your service. So I do have to say that first. But second of all, then, so to... So when you left that, and then you was this the first business you set? You set up another business before Tiller, am I right in saying? And sold that on to a fairly large company. Yeah, no, I did. Um, so the journey was was a bit of a weird one in that I left. I started a, a sort of an e-commerce business, and I I was quite not involved, but I, I did a lot of commentary for the BBC. So I used to be on Radio Five Live quite a bit, and it was really at the it was at the point where the Iraq war had finished, but the Iraq follow-on plan was being initiated. And we were all, you know, the whole country was sort of thinking, well, what's happening now? How are we helping these people? What are we doing when we're getting our boys home? All that sort of jazz. And Prince Harry was in the regiment. So there was a lot of commentary around that. So we're going back quite a way now. I'm showing a bit my age. And essentially, once I started the bit, I basically took a 25,000 bank bank loan from from that west pretending i was buying a car i was still serving in the military you see so they were they were quite open to giving cash to people in the military because you can't get fired so they were just giving hand and and, and they and they falsely sold some some ppi to me on top of that as well anyway won't get into that started a company <laughs> um i personally went bankrupt uh, 12 months later so i ran out of money the company sort of was breaking even wasn't doing much we're probably getting a few orders a day and we eventually did sell the business, but only enough to sort of clear its debts. I think we sold it for 15, 20,000 pounds. But I had, because of the work I'd done with the BBC, I'd end up speaking to a guy who owned a couple of businesses here in Brighton. And one of them was a mortgage brokerage. So I decided, well, you know, everyone, well, lots of people need mortgages. Why don't I go into that world? And that was, at two, that was in 2007. So it was a fantastic time to get into mortgages because the year after it, crashed and burned so I lasted in there for about a year and then that's where I met my business partner who I started a couple of businesses with including Tillo so the story that sort of interlinks all of them together is that we saw this great company through a business we were involved in that had just taken investment to sort of compete with moneysupermarket.com and they were dealing I think on peripheral advice or something with um, with a company called Groupon. So the big yeah. giant is Groupon. That just started. Living Social had just started. And we thought, Do you know what? Let's stop, you know, working for other people. Let's use this opportunity to start our own thing. And we bootstrapped it. And we had lots of relationships with some newspaper groups over the, the sort of UK because of some products we've been selling to them. And we thought... I didn't realise I'd be actually getting into this sort of level of detail, but I'm just sort of <laughs> what I've been having. It's really interesting because it's like we've been talking to them. It's just how funny how businesses sort of evolve and they pivot and you sort of find one thing that sort of works and that gets a bit of product market fit and that is the thing that sort of goes. But we, the newspaper thing didn't work. We were trying to help them sell Groupon deals to get eyeballs onto the newspapers again because they were sort of losing readership. That didn't work. They were moving too slow. And we thought, actually, why don't we just do it ourselves? So we built it ourselves for a few thousand pounds. We got a, um, a, a 
guy that we knew very well who was willing to do some consultancy on the side, but also build our website for 16% of the business. We got this great marketeer on board who took the other 4% of the business and was paid quite a bit lower salary. And then we just, we bootstrapped it, handed out flyers at the, the sort of train station. I think we got about 3,000 customers locally. And then hard work, persistence, luck, whatever you want to call it, we we pushed an, uh, an envelope through to... Or lots of envelopes through to moneysupermarket.com some of the commercial team they were like listen this is a great way for you to sell more car insurance and more home insurance to that you only speak to them once a year to sell stuff to people that they want to save money every single week let alone every year mm-hmm. and they really love this idea of talking to their consumers and helping them save money so therein laid a deal that they had to announce to the city which was worth 11 million pounds now we didn't get all that money but it was um it was a fantastic learning experience of bootstrap, no raising any cash. We nearly raised some money, but we, you know, we it all fell over, and we ended up selling the company and scaling it to, what, I don't know, 60, 70, 60 odd employees down in Brighton Hove, which was amazing, and selling thousands and thousands and thousands of deals to consumers all over the UK. And it was when we were doing that that we were we were basically sending them, you know bits of paper vouchers to go and redeem in stores and we knew it was going into the phone so we were we were were working with a couple of businesses in that sort of realm and that's when we came across a mobile payment company in sweden that we ended up working for a bit of time with and 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 that is where we sort of saw the landscape for this industry which is we tried to put gift cards in this mobile payment app and we couldn't and it was like, well, why can't we do that? You can order your Deliveroo instantly, put your Netflix on instantly. All these things, we're, we're used to having instant gratification, but you can't, you're telling me that someone that wants to issue a reward to someone for doing a good job, they have to buy all that in bulk, sit on it, and then issue that sort of as and when, and you can run out of stock at the weekend, and there's all these sort of procurement problems, and the industry is quite big. It's about 9 billion in the UK, 2.2 trillion globally, it's huge and it's all backward and, and, and tons of fragmented sort of technical issues, you know, that are buried within the processes. And that's where we sort of started to pioneer the digital transformation of procuring rewards and incentives. So, yeah, that's a very long winded way of telling you that's how it started. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting because I, I don't... It was it was difficult to predict the route that you would take when you look at the business that where you would see that opportunity. Now I used to work in retail. I did twenty plus years in retail, and so I know what you're talking about. So initially, when we used to sell things like that, mobile phone top up cards, they used to be on a piece of plastic, then it went to paper, and then you know. So that I think the natural progression of businesses seems to be taking things online, doesn't it, guys? Yeah, I, it, it's strange because you know. I, actually jumped on online and, and looked at Tillo a little bit and and and, and I sort of st- not struggle with but I'm 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 interested in so how you procure the rewards. So how 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 do you approach the businesses to provide the rewards that you then I suppose facilitate it to your customers? Like what was that process? What what do they get out of that? What do you get out of that? I understand what the customer yeah. the end customer gets out of it, but yeah, what, no, what benefit is the down the line to to the people that allow you to provide the discounts for your customers? No, really good question. So, like all businesses, they they all need to find a value prop to their consumer or business that they're selling to. So, my, our business Tillo was was a, a relatively difficult business to start because it's a two sided marketplace. You can't get brands on if you don't have buyers on. You can't get yeah. by if you don't have brands on. So yeah. when we got started, we knew that through sort of hard work, persistence and driving a technical platform that would give brands, retail brands, the ability to have transparency, that was the biggest value prop for them. So we managed to we managed to very quickly get um, a nice suite of 20, 30, 50 brands in the first year. Yeah. And alongside that, our the main objective was to help the guys that are buying large quantities of gift cards like David's business yeah. to procure them in a much more digital, efficient way because the consumer at that moment in time was 
basically buying physical cards the same way as a digital card would be fulfilled. What I mean by that is there'd be fixed denominations. Here's your 10, here's your 20, here's your 50. And quite often these businesses would run out of them at the weekend or when they had sales. So you'd have to have a physical card. At the end of the day, that partner or buyer, David's business, my staff shop, would basically collate all those orders and they would go along a a process of being topped up. So you can see that goes through three or four different processes to get topped up and come back online. That consumer ultimately is waiting for their card to be topped up, which can take a day or two. And if you're at the weekend, it can take a night. And you can start to see the issues of these employees and this is where the business started that had this perk system or reward system or incentive system that their employers given them and they're having a really bad sort of customer journey of walking into tesco and they can't spend when they want to spend yeah. just like bank card so we were our value prop was we need to find more we need to find more use cases than rewards and incentives so we, you know, our business provides gift cards for issuing free school meals, cashing out crypto or off-ramping crypto onto gift cards, cashing right. out points, airline points, I suppose employee points onto gift cards. In fact, any currency that is got a value can be moved onto a digital value, which ultimately that's what what a gift card is. We call it gift card, but almost all the use cases that we power. They're ultimately a stored value that can be issued in real time. It's just a branded currency, you know, as we get into a sort of weird terminology, but ultimately it's just that is what it, we're issuing in real time. So so is it is it different than your traditional, I suppose, high street discount voucher that, that you can that you can go along with. So did you, you provide a suite of op- or a, a list of opportunities for, for customers and, and to, to go and to redeem their cards as opposed to buying a one-off card for a one-off shop that they go and redeem. So it is, it's, it's like a, almost like a plethora of different outlets that you then provide those discounts for. And, and, and I, I, I'm assuming that you just sell to business and, and, and you sell to businesses who then, give their employees cards to, to redeem and that's where you that's where you make your money from yeah no but, guys so how, how the commercial model is 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 a simple so not always are the discounts passed on to the consumer quite right. often businesses will use those those commissions or uh, rebates as a way of them making money so an example okay. would be take out car insurance today with you know, money supermarket and you'll get a 25 pound gift card. Now the partner that powers that we power and they use that margin as a way of giving to money supermarket and themselves. So instead of moving into cash, there's a margin there to sort of be, to be gained. Now in the employee world, it's all Davis. It's a lot of those, those commissions or we've are given straight to the, to the employee. So our retail side, we get the commissions because we're buying on such huge volumes. Yeah. You know, there's a billion pound that goes through the network and growing. We take those discounts and that is sort of passed along the chain. Our business right, is, a, okay. is a SaaS. So we get compensated from both sides of the fence. So typically partners pay a SaaS and a sort of commission issuance fee, a bit like taking payment as a merchant. And then the yeah. brand pays a commission. That's sort of how it sits. So we're a high volume transactional reoccurring revenue business ultimately that's sort of how we make money really simply on on that front to give you an idea of the the change that 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 tillo and and the other companies in that space but particularly tillo because they were one of the first ones to do it to to really revolutionize this way before them a company like ours if they wanted to give for example a, a, a discount at tesco's the employee had to register and ask for a plastic card, which we would post out to them. Once they get that card, they then have to load value onto it, which should then take two or three days. And it, it could be a fixed amount, say £100. Then they go to the supermarket, then they go to the till and they can swipe and pay with the card. And a lot of people yeah. still do that with the supermarkets in particular. Now what people do is they can do, you know, people do scan to shop where they're scanning as they go around, particularly they get yeah. to the end and it goes, £97.50. They open up, in our case, the My Staff Shop app. They go, Tesco's, I want £97.50. 
within 30 seconds, they've got a barcode, they scan it against their scan to shop, and they've paid and done and saved uh, 4 or 5%, whatever it is. So it's, it's, it's literally instant. So when Alex was saying before the terminology, the industry still calls them gift cards because yeah. to shift, shift the entire user base's mindset from a gift card to something else is is more difficult. We kind of try to mix it up with instant di- gift mm-hmm. card or digital gift card, but you've got to go with what the users know. <laughs> but so 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 when so Dave, you said there that you, one of your employees would request a Tesco gift card or whatever, they would then have to load that up. Do you, so as a company, do you then provide benefits to your employees and you load the card up as an as as an employer benefit, and then you still use Tillo as as that? Is is it is it a different? I suppose is it a different model for Dave, your company as a as an employer to load up a card, and then your Dave, your employees doing something similar? Does that make sense? I don't know if it makes sense or not. We we kind of um, in the same way that that Alex and Tiller will will take that discount from Tesco's and pass it to other us. supermarkets are available. <laughs> they are. Pass it, not little though, funny enough. Um, <laughs> right, okay. Not yet, not yet I'm sure. Not Alex yet. Is working on that. We're on that. We're on that. <laughs> um, so, Alex, let's say it's 5% for argument's sake, and let's say Alice passes that 5% to us, and we will pay Alice a bit of a transaction fee for, for generating that code for us, as well as a, a sort of ongoing fee for using the system as a whole. We then can choose what we do with that 5%. Now, we typically, with the very popular lines, pass that almost entirely on to employees of our clients we've got like hundreds of clients right. their yeah. employees log on to my staff shop and they get it at the same discount because we're right. charging our okay. clients a fee to use our platform right we do we do the the mark the industry does do something called skimming so with some lines if we get it from alex at five we may sell it on at four and yeah. keep the one percent yeah kind of how it yeah. works okay yeah okay. I, I, so i i i, I get I was just struggling to understand the the, the nature of, of where, where the benefits come from and then who gets them and and and, and yeah. how that's generated. But I, yeah, you'll have to excuse me. I'm I'm just slowly sort of starting to come to terms with how that works. We can hear the cogs. Hopefully, the microphones will Please. pick that up. I think that's clear. these two never listen to me when I'm telling them about the business. I must be boring, <laughs> Alex. Clearly, <laughs> because the the discount. So the consumer. So. If you think of any business, a neo bank, I mean a new bank like a Munzo, we were retired as well. But like the and lots of intermediaries here because we we are almost like Stripe or Visa, but for gift cards. So we're the underlying platform play. That's what yeah. we are. We're just an API. That's it. And we provide storefront tools, URLs, and just a, a different delivery method, if you will, to sort of allow businesses like my Star Shop and Davis business to talk to businesses that then have thousands of so we're one to many is our approach that's right. not uh, the banks all work with visa and mastercard they created a network of three and a half thousand banks over the world three and a half thousand banks isn't that many but those banks in turn have millions and millions and millions and millions of consumers and they also have millions of businesses so they've connected the other two ways so we've just made it really simple and easy for companies that range from like Klarna that have a loyalty sort of engine that incentivizes people to pay their bill off early and collect points as they shop to move that back into retail ultimately like you think about when you when you're you you know you get something back from uh, any sort of purchase yourself and and it's done in a way of like a 25 pound just refund I've, I've had it before when I I've had to send a faster payment or and it didn't go through or a chance payment, I think. And they said, sorry, the HSBC, the bank I was banking with HBC, they were sort of, oh, sorry, we'll give you £25 back. And it just, this £25 just went straight back. Now, if that was an MS card, well, first off, they wouldn't pay £25 for it. So that would have been cheaper. Yeah. But also, I could have actually treated myself to something because it's free money, ultimately. And that... That is the thing. It's a reward or incentive. We, you know, we we I band around that term reward incentives quite a lot because it's it helps businesses use these cards for acquiring new customers and having a personal attachment to them, keeping those customers and having a personal attachment to them, 
Uh, and, and most of all, keeping that money in retail, because if it goes into your bank and it's just a bank transfer, first off, it costs them money to do that. Yeah. And then two, more often than not, it just gets lost in all these other transactions, your gas bill, electric, all these things come out and you don't, you don't even notice that money going in. Whereas when it's a card and it has a material difference, like in those instances, like if you're giving 5% back to a consumer and you know, I'm getting that on my weekly shop. That's a lot of money at the end of the year. Mm. That's hundreds yeah. of pounds saving that I can then use to pay something else, you know, gas bill, yeah. electric, utility bill, whatever it might be. So that's typically how we, like our approach is working with businesses that range from fintechs to employee reward companies, banks, government, that sort of thing, really. So it's, a, it's not a blue ocean of thousands, millions of millions of businesses. It's more thousands. But yeah, that's that's the sort of value prop I will to, if you will, to businesses. Indeed, indeed. I and mean, it's been great to hear about your business, but I think the other curious, you started off telling us a little bit at the start there that you're a family man, you have three children. So I'd like to hear a little bit about the man behind the business as well, if that's all right with you. So I certainly know in Dave's case, Dave's been CEO of a business. He is a busy man, or at least he tells us he is on the occasions that we are listening to him. How much of your time, how much are you, are you like that Charles Montgomery Burns type character, you know, always tapping away at the computer and keeping an eye, or do you get some time away from the business? Yeah, this is a funny one because I, you know, I, I speak very, you know, obviously I speak very openly to to anyone I sort of speak to. And, you know, it's never, there are instances where you do, you know, you have time to, you know, reflect and think, but you don't ever switch off. That isn't a reality if you own your own stuff. That just isn't the case. And that's what you sign up to when you're a, when you're an owner, founder, CEO. That isn't, you don't have the luxury of just going, oh, I'll, de- I'll deal with that another time because it, it doesn't work like that. Someone is trying to eat your lunch 24 hours of the day. And my methodology is like, you know, you, first off, you need to look after yourself. You need to have a solid routine. And I've built solid routines when I was in the military. And it's helped me, like, as I've got older and more grayer hair. But and I try and help, you know, my son who's nine now and trying to help him with building his routine. Because if you can, if you can do that, that sort of helps with everything else. It's it's that routine that helps because that's the consistency that helps in the routine. And then that kicks off into other positive habits, which enable you to keep chipping away at things. You know, when you're on holiday, you never switch off. And I was talking to my father-in-law about it. He was a school teacher and he did a fantastic job for, you know, all his career. He was a, he's retired now and he's like 70, 74. You, he could switch off when he went on his school holidays, obviously. He'd do his work at the front and switch off. And he was just sort of trying to understand, like, how do you feel that you don't switch off? And I don't know any different. It's sort of, you know, my wife is, I've been with my wife a long time, 22 years. And it's like, when you're on holiday, there's obviously days that you don't do anything. But there's other days that you do dip in and do stuff. And that's just a reality of business. Because you do wake up in a perpetual fear of something going wrong, something needs to be moved there's a roadmap that needs to be impacted there's clients that you sort of want to deal with and work with there's prospects that you want to deal and work with there's 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 a an enormity of stuff that needs doing and you you know you compartmentalize it but ultimately you are always working all the time you're constantly pushing and i would say you know as a as long as you've got a plan on where you want to take that and everyone's got a time limit on a business i think most businesses I'm talking about here, not like, you know, the Amazons and the Facebooks and these businesses. Most, you know, normal businesses, they get to, well, most businesses don't even get to 10 million revenue, let alone yeah. 20, 30, 40, 50 or whatever. So I think, you know, you've got lifestyle businesses that, businesses that, are, and I don't mean that in a, you know, sort of luxurious way where people just work because they, they you know, they work in something that they love. It's more, you know, restaurant owners, they're doing that to pay the bills, look after the kids, go on their holiday, like those businesses, pubs, um, those sorts of things. And then you've got businesses like mine, which you're trying to build and take um, take charge of an industry and lead. And ultimately, you're working every year to sort of build out on that plan. And then you reflect 
and see if this is the right thing to be doing for the next year. Is this the way? Yeah. Do, I, do I keep on enjoying it? Do I want to keep on being, being and doing this? Or is it time for me to sort of hand off the baton? I respect people so much that have, you know, really looked at their business thinking, actually, I'm not the right person to take it beyond 200 people or whatever it might be. I yeah. love what I do. I love the team and what we're up to and what we're trying to tackle. But the realities of switching off, you know, aren't, aren't real. But I, I don't mind that. That's what I've signed up for. Do you do you need that challenge? Do you need a battle? Do you need that fight? Would it be boring? I, I can't imagine you'd be someone who'd be quite happy to go and work for somebody else. You know, maybe you know, maybe somebody like Dave or something like that. Well, I, I can't imagine that would appeal. <laughs> no, I don't. I think I'm way past beyond employable. Um, <laughs> so am I. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's like you know, what would interest me, like. You, Yes, I do need to be challenged. I've been really fortunate with Tillo that you know when we built the business together, it, and it's gone beyond that scale now. But it's it's far bigger than I ever thought it would be, and I think we're just getting really started, weirdly. And it's there's just so much to do. I I wouldn't be working for anyone else. I really love what I'm doing. I think will I be doing this in five years' time? Now that's a hard question. That that's a hard one. It, will I be will I be doing this in two three years time probably yeah. yeah five years is a hard one to call out I think but at the moment and I do think about this every time I get up in the morning it's like if I didn't do this what else would I be doing and at the moment but I get that but I get the impression you're 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 quite an entrepreneurial guy so you, you know you, you say you, you throw your mind forward five years and you're not 100 percent sure you're going to be doing Tillo but I get the impression that Okay, if if a private equity company came along or whatever it may be and said, we're going to give you X for Tillow and we'll take it over and we're going to put, I don't know, manager directors in and this, that and the other. And you, you'd be, so in a way, happy to take the slides to that pie, but then not rest on your laurels and think, right, well, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And I get the impression that you, that, that drives you and it's, you, it's that entrepreneurial thing. It's like, actually, I've done this and I've made a success of that. Right, what's the next thing? What's the next thing I can do? And, and, and you've always got those sort of cogs turning. Hmm. And I think that's a really good point. Like my business partner moved on last March and he, he loves that creative stage, which is, which, is, which is fine. You know, we've moved significantly on from that stage. Even from yeah. last year, we've moved on significantly. But the great thing is in this world that we live in, and we're so lucky where we live and, you know, the, the, the markets, yes, they've come down significantly, but we're still really lucky is that founders now, and we've been so lucky to look, you can take money off the table. If you're doing really well, you can take money off the table along the way. And we've done, yeah. I've done that two or three times now. And it's nice to sort of, you don't need to raise money. Like we've done a tiny raise back 2016. You know, we found profitability, profitability quite quickly, which was quite nice. And we've been able to sort of ride our own destiny somewhat. So it's been, it's not, it's not, not, not about the money sort of thing because it, it is about the money but it's also about the growth story the opportunities like yeah. i want to create an international business that you know we're in austin texas i've got, an, I've got we've got an office there i'm moving out there at the end of the year with the family which is exciting we've got a team out there we've got a team we've got people in like you know minneapolis atlanta all over america chicago soon i think some really cool places and yeah, you know, that is just we're scratching the opportunity there. Like ten percent of the business is there already, and it's like, how do we grow that significantly more than what it is today? Because we've just hired someone in Australia. Like, there's some cool right. stuff. I don't feel like now is the right time to step off and give it to someone else. It's more around yeah. how do we solidify what we've created here in other markets with powerful growth, and then reflect and think about what the next steps are. Yeah. So how, how, how are you going to move forward? How are you going to maximize the, the revenue streams, the, the opportunities, X, Y, and Z? Yeah. And and once you feel as though you've done that to a point that you're happy with, and clearly you're not quite happy with that at the moment, you know, that there would be other markets available to you, as, as we just said, whether it's Australia, whether it's, you know, moving in, moving in more into America, and then once you're in America, you do move into Canada, et cetera, et cetera. So once you've done that, I suppose it, it, it's like a year-on-year -year thing. It, it's like a... Well, actually, I'm not ready to give it up yet. It's my baby. I don't want to give it up. So why should I? We're, we're still we're still profitable. We're still extremely profitable. We're still 
increasing revenue we're still increasing turnover and all of those things so why why would i but i, I there will come a point where you'll probably go actually you know what whether or not it's you personally that have got to the point where you feel so you can't do anymore or the company you feel so you can't do anymore and at some point you're going to go right so what's next then and that might be five years that could be six years it could be 10 years but at some point you're going to go well what's next unless of course obviously you know every businessman's dream you know you become multi multi-millionaires and you think actually i don't need to do it anymore so i'm just going to live the life of luxury down on sandbanks or whatever and and everything's all good do you know what i mean so yeah no i think it's, a, it's an interesting it's an interesting one i think we've been we've been very fortunate with what we've been able to achieve today and you know there's there's no exit in mind we've been able to do some incredible things with it already and i just sort of feel the the focus it needs to be and that's the difficult thing, isn't it? If you like, if, if you're not like, if your heart isn't in it, your focus isn't in it, which means the business sort of sees that. And at the yeah. moment, it's not like that. But I think as soon as there is something new, you know, I'm not going to be one of those people that just, it doesn't matter what the number is or what it, it I'm just not that way inclined to just sit on it. Like, we don't go on beach holidays. Like, we just don't do that. We're not one of them people that just go on those sort of, like, we do more active sort of stuff. I'm always being busy doing stuff. I can't ever imagine me being, you know, if I'm lucky enough to live to freaking 70, 80, I will be smoking a cigar and just be working still. You see that? Yeah. <laughs> to be, we can. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's it, isn't it? It's like, just, just keep on chipping away, keep on doing what you're happy with. And if you're not happy with it, just change it. It's, it's yeah. that's when we're super lucky here. We don't have to be any business owner, any, once you get to a certain point, and even if you don't get to that certain point, it's like, just change it up. We live in a great country where we can change things up real quick. Yeah. i got a question for you, Alex. When I was down the pub with these, these pair a while back, uh, and I said I was, I was now the MD, uh, CEO of my staff shop, and, and I think it was Gaz who said, yeah, but what do you do? I, I think I struggled to articulate what so I on, actually Dave, Explain to me, explain no, no. to me during the day, what do you actually do? <laughs> Well, today, I, I've been in back-to-back meetings all day with all different members. Talking about what? So this is what I had. Alex, you have a go. Explain talking about what? What, you do. what have you been talking about? There's a, there's a really interesting exercise, actually, that helps you get focus and with your writing your job description, ultimately. And you are what you do. Now, what I mean by that is, is that actually write down what you've done today and you'll realize actually, and this is quite good for a lot of people because you realize actually the CTO is is setting up people's computers and they're, they're building desks. And you're like, no, the CTO doesn't build desks and freaking set people's computers up because that's what an IT manager does or a, yeah. you know, a, an IT, a, a tech, per, a, an IT person. Site manager or whatever it may be. Or yeah, exactly. Well, you know, and that's the thing. If you're, if you're spending all your time doing something that isn't conducive to the title that you've given yourself, you're not doing that role, which means ultimately it's not being fulfilled. And it helps you sort of get a bit of focus on the things that matter. And actually you look at your inbox and you're like, "Mm, should I be doing that? Is that the right thing to be doing? Like if you were, depends on your sort of size of business, but like, would you be paying someone that is the CEO of a bank to book all their travel? It's like, yeah. no, you wouldn't do because that's a stupid yeah. thing to do. Like the money that they're on, like they're better off strategically planning how the bank's going to be defending against this and building products for their consumers and value add things over here. Like not booking their train fare here, here and here. It's like that. It's not you're, very, you, their role. you're a very expensive admin person. You, exactly. You're a very expensive site <laughs> yeah. manager. You're a very expensive cleaner. You, you, yeah. you, it's yeah, all exactly. of those things, isn't it? You know. The guy, the guys in the office. When I moved from being IT director to managing director, the guys got me a, a mug from Pinterest, and on one side it says, "I'm not the IT director," and on the other side it says, "That's not an MD task." So when I'm in the office now on Tuesdays, if somebody comes with that, I quite often just hold the mug up and, and either show them I'm, I'm not the IT director or <laughs> that's not an MD task, and that's a, a tra- for me personally. That's a, a it was a big transformation to go from someone who was doing an awful lot of tasks such as building desks putting computers in because when you're growing a business you you do do that at the start but you have to get to a point where you just say no you're my team mm. i trust you yeah. to do that 
go and do it. Sorry, I was going to say it's it's the tra- it's the transition between being very very operational to then becoming very very strategic, and it and it's it's the change from the operational day to day running of the business to the strategic management of the business that it sometimes can become quite difficult. And actually, as Dave just said there, if you've got the right people in the right positions doing the right things, you should be in a position where you can trust them to do that, which then means that you can then focus on the, the strategic stuff and the growing of the business and the, the, the increased revenue streams and all of that. And you've got the right people in the right place cleaning your desks, sorting your site out, doing your IT software, doing your management systems, whatever it may be. And and and, and the more you go up your business, whether you, you, you go to the senior management, you go to MD, you go to CEO, whatever it may be, that that transitional process can be quite difficult for some people because they struggle to let go of the operational stuff because that's what they're so used to. And that's what they're so used to. Their, their day-to-day, they're ingrained in that because – that they, they built that that's what they do and then all of a sudden you've got to almost it, it's not quite an epiphany moment but it's almost like wow like i've got somebody else to do that now so mm. and it's really hard to do that mm. absolutely and we see it a lot like it's not a reflect, bad reflection on people it's just that now is that you've got your business to this level when actually it is it's time you either take a step out of it and train up to be that next person or we move on and yeah i think if you've taken money from people, they'll make that decision for you. They'll give you some time. I mean, Ben Francis is a fantastic example of he focused on the thing that he loved and trained, um, got coaches and learned how to be a CEO. And he actually had a CEO of the business running that company, Gymshark, for many, many years before he then became CEO of the company because he knew where he needed to work on. It's unusual yeah. that actually happens, but quite often the founder is interested in creating something new solving a problem and getting it to a certain level it's very unusual you see founders that go from you know zero to sort of hero like mark zuckerberg and these sorts of people it's so unusual to see yeah it's freaks of nature in some respect most people step off they get bored they get they get burnt out they're not happy they you know they, they move on they sort of struggle they would and a lot of the time actually i'd say that people hold their businesses back yeah, they don't sort of take a step back and think actually it can be run by someone much more proficient than myself, and I'm I'll take another role. And do you think that's because they're that they're scared they're they're scared of that they're scared to let go that they're scared of losing that I suppose ownership of it. I think ego is the enemy, isn't it? I think a lot yeah, of times your ego and you can't. It's difficult to see the wood from the trees, and if you're you don't invest in yourself through coaches or, you know, listening to your team or the team not giving you the right feedback and having those feedback loops that helps you sort of build a better picture on how to change it for the right, for the better. You don't, if you don't work with your, your leadership team over that time, if you do run it as a, as a command and, and control dictatorship or command and control organization, you find that actually you don't have a team that, that's proficient enough and skilled enough to take over from you because you've limited their growth and development by the way you've yeah. run it by yeah. by the ego, like Alex says, or you are just might be a control freak and don't want to let go. You think you're going to do it best, but actually it, it, it hampers you quite often. But but yeah, but but there comes a point where you have to you have to allow your team to come on the journey with you because if if you don't allow them to come on the journey with you and grow with you, either a you'll end up resenting them or they'll end up resenting you because either you've stifled their growth or they feel as though they that their their wisdom is not being supported or whatever it may be so at some point there'll be that natural sort of um, decision where actually you know what if you want to come on the bus with us then that's great but if you don't then get off because actually we're not for you type thing so it the, the journey with your team and i'm a big believer in you allow wherever possible you're very democratic you're not autocratic you're very democratic you involve your team and the right team in the right environment with certain decisions they then have an ownership of that they then have a buy-in with that they then feel invested in that whereas if they feel as though they're dictated to over a period of time 
sometimes they become quite resentful for that and they will look for opportunities to either disrupt or distract or not become efficient. So if you, if you can take your team with you and act on the, on the growth of the business, you can also grow your team. I think that's the best way to go. Mm. Yeah, my sort of thoughts are one where that works to a certain extent, but unfortunately that isn't, I don't think that's reality in terms of, if you get, I'll give you an example. You start a business and that business has got like five, 10 people in it. You're all working fantastically because everyone's mucking in. There is no real rank actually, because you're all just working and you're all doing amazing things and you can all you can all go to the pub you can easily get a table you know you can all have a drink at the end of the week and you're all celebrating the successes of all of them all the time and you can sort of sit around a table on, on the monday morning or whatever and you can celebrate and talk about what needs to be done very quickly soon layers and layers sort of come in and more revenues come in and more more typically more people come in and and that there becomes an opportunity for people to step up um and, and lots of people can step up and move on. Lots of people can't. Lots yeah. of people do not want or have the ability to move from X level to that level. And that, yeah. again, is a really horrible thing as a leader that you need to identify and rectify. Because if someone isn't cutting it in a role, it's your responsibility to help them, identify with them, coach them potentially as well, but if it doesn't work, it's like you need to move yeah. them on. And it's so yeah. difficult because you want these things, as you rightly said, to sort of come through and um, you know, go on this nice journey together. But unfortunately, the boat does need to let people off at some point yeah. because they yeah. are holding your business back. That's the thing. You can see that your vision as an owner, founder, whatever, is is taking you here and 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 they don't see that. They can't see that. They really don't have that founder mindset, so they're like they're 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 back here, and you're like, <laughs> can you help you move yourself to this level, and you try and help them over three, six, nine, twelve months. Yeah, you sort you deep down, you sort of know they're not right. You know that person's yeah. got the playbook, and we need the person to come in to sort of take me to the next level. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I would agree with with everything that said that. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about the while you're on here as well, because you have your own podcast as well wild cards podcast and i've heard a few of those episodes i listened to those last night and one of the things you talked about and i chatted to dave about and it's something that i know that you do speak about often is imposter syndrome so you know just 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 tell us a little bit about that because i'd be curious to know how it affects you i know how it affects me and dave and i have spoken about it as well so i'd be, I'd be curious to hear about that yeah i think do you know what it's a really in it's a it's a deep down it's an insecurity with that you're not happy with yourself. I think I look at my son, for instance, who my girl, my little girl as well, who's seven, but I look at my son, he don't have anything like that. He just gets up, does speeches in front of his school. He stands up and does these talks. He doesn't have any of this stuff because he doesn't know any different. But I think where I haven't had that sort of support as a young kid, not that I wasn't loved, but it was more, first off, you didn't get up and talk in school. That just didn't happen. Like you'd be... <laughs> You know, that just you, my my school just wasn't like that. It just it really wasn't wired up that right. It's that disbelief almost that you're you are talking as an expert or as a title to people about something, and you're that authoritative source now, and that makes you feel like really really small because it's like I can't possibly be that person that's talking to a hundred people about strategy because that just yeah. isn't me yeah. and it can really burn inside you it can actually hold you back it actually helps me as a person to be honest because being on that edge helps you step up and that's really important that adrenaline that fighters have that that adrenaline that the athletes have the feeling that you have when you have to give a talk it's designed and there to keep you really sharp that fight and flight thing and I've had a lot of coaching and help just to sort of not not so much to deal with it because I don't you know I don't I say I deal with imposition but there's definitely elements that certain things happen I'm like oof you know that's a bit weird to be doing that 
and a lot of my team sort of, I think everyone, not everyone, that's a wrong thing to say. I think a lot of people suffer from imposter syndrome because, but I don't think they name it imposter syndrome. I think it's, it's something in their head, they just call it nervousness or they just, they sort of just feel it like they're winging it a bit, but actually everyone, like I think I listened to Ben Francis, everyone's sort of winging it a little bit. There's no real like authoritative sources unless, you know, maybe if I spoke to Barack Obama or, you know, some politician that's gone to Cambridge and Eton or whatever, and they, you know, they are much more academically accredited than myself and they definitely have the credentials to be able to prove things that, in certain verticals that I, I have no idea about. But when it comes to things that I've had experience with, I've sort of come to terms with actually, yeah, you need to step up. People do want to listen and hear about the things that you've got to say. And you should have conviction about it. And at the end of the day, like the army sort of taught me, you know, the five P's, pre-planning prevents piss poor performance. That's mostly it. It is that. It's that you've just got to plan at the end of the day. But it's it's quite interesting when you talk about it, how many people actually do suffer from it. Yeah, and, and I think and, and, and so many people it, back, which is sad. So, so, you know, is it a is it? A, and some people say it's a confidence thing. Some people say it's a personality thing. And lots of people wrap it up in lots of different ways. But I suppose there comes a point where sometimes, excuse my language, you've got to say you, sometimes you've got to man the fuck up and do it. Sort of thing. You know, you you've got to deliver that speech. You've got to make that sale. You've got to to, to deliver that whatever it may be. And and then okay, and you might be shitting yourself in doing it, but you have to get to a point where you go, you know what, it, it is on me, and I have to do it. And and I suppose some people don't like that. I don't think it's just that though, dude. I think what you're looking at there is a confidence thing, and I know that plays its part. But I think there's an element of being humble in there as well, where sometimes you reflect on your life. When you reflect where you come from, you still see yourself yeah. as the origin of that being and where you have come from. And to, to then to progress back to it, you know, I certainly know I have not, I wouldn't say I have it in terms of work or anything like that, but sometimes, you know, I have lived a, a fairly comfortable life and have come from not impoverished backgrounds, that wouldn't be true to say, but, you know, fair, you know, I've come from a single parent family at times. And I, I feel incredibly grateful for the things that I've got. Yeah. And there's that feeling sometimes that we don't necessarily deserve the things that have come to our table. No, no, and I get that. But I think ultimately, and, and you, you know, you, you, you've worked really hard in, in your career and, and you, you made a decision a few years. <laughs> but, you know, you made a decision a few years ago, a couple of years ago to, to change direction and stuff. And if somebody asked you to then speak about X, Y or Z, they would be asking you because they felt as though in the position that you are, you are the right person to talk about that. Mm. And and therefore, you know, you wouldn't be in the position to be speaking about it if you didn't have the skills and the whatever it may be, the attributes to, to do that. So mm. therefore, to then look at yourself, and it is that confidence, it is, and, and lots of people are very self-critical or self-reflective, and and that's good to a, to a point, but until it becomes self-deprecating I suppose where you start to eat yourself up and think I'm not good enough and I'm not this and I'm not that I think I think what you were just saying there I think like there is that bit I mean I've I don't know for the past three years I've been having a I've got a diary and I've been very religious every night of it's one routine I can't actually believe me of all people have got a diary and I sort of keep it every day I just can't get my head around it actually but it's stuck and I've I'm doing it all the time and I love looking back at the day, this day last year, exactly the same day, so the 11th or 12th, 12th, 12th of September, what I did last year and then the year before yeah. that, that day. I love seeing how I was feeling at that moment in time. And yeah. there have been times where I've been like, I can feel it looking back. I was, I was really worried about lots of things. And it just, it helps you. Well, first off, it helps you sort of, deal and think about your feelings instead of burying them and then two you're, you're absolutely on the money i think when you create something or you've done something that's quite like humbling in in some respect to yourself and this is a personal thing you could you, you know i can't quite believe some of the things that have happened so i you you, you that's where imposter syndrome definitely sets in because you're like oh you're the 
figurehead of Sainsbury's Bank. And I can imagine a lot of people are just like, oh my God, I am actually the figurehead of a Sainsbury's Bank. And I've come from yeah. this, this little school here. And then I went here and then I went that, now I'm this person. And I, you know, I look at my own life and I think, how, how have I managed to go from like, you know, like my mum bring like same as you. I come from a single parent background, and like my dad came in with nothing from Iran as a as an as an as a for asylum because of the revolution happened in Iran. And I'm like, how's it gone from that to like where we're at today? Yeah, it's weird, and that's where sometimes it, I think his process syndrome can hold so many people back. But I think a lot of people, just like the most incredible fighters on the planet, like massive MMA fan, they use these these horrible experiences as the fuel to win. And that's the thing, isn't it? Like one person can look at um, a child abuse or trauma as, as an excuse. And another person can look at that as an opportunity to change. And I think David Goggins words it beautifully in one of his books where he talks around the trauma, the pain, and, a, and some people sit in that camp are just going, do you know what? Like, I remember Anne Middleton's got a great, um, I'm reading his book and talking about, I read it a few years ago. He's, he, he's, he's so interesting the way he sort of talks around resilience and how he could have quite easily blamed PTSD on a fighting charge that he got, got in very big trouble with. But he didn't. And he, he, and he looked at it like, I haven't got PTSD and I will, I'm not willing to sort of throw myself under, in, in this camp of suffering. It's I'm dealing with that in terms of I'm living by the sword. And I'm going to die by the sword. Yeah. I'm not going to find a little way out. And I think that the people that are able to use those traumas or those, those opportunities to walk the line, find grit, which is so hard. You can't teach it. They're the ones that just, you know, have a, an incredible mindset to go and conquer anything, whatever it might be. Indeed. Indeed. Now, I'm conscious we're near the hour mark, Dave, but you and I have spoke a little bit about imposter syndrome. Did, did you want to talk a little bit about how it affects you? Because, you know, I can see the Stuart's comments in there. He, you know, it's something that he that, that he recognises. Yeah, I think it's, it's – I don't think it's as much the confidence with me. It's more on the humble side, like – if you were to ask me to stand up in an auditorium of 5,000 people and just read off a card that was given to me, that wouldn't be a problem. But you asked me to be up there as the leader of my staff shop and talk about business and what we've achieved, then it becomes difficult. Even today, I was talking to, to one of my directors and I was talking about the journey we're going forward and how I'm supposed to be leading this company forward. And even that, to me, thinks, oh, God, I'm the leader. I don't even like calling myself the leader of our organization because it just doesn't, and it is this humble thing. It's, you know, from, you know I didn't do very well yeah. in school, didn't go to university, didn't get a degree. And to go on this journey and be in this position, that's what I struggle accepting with. I think the confidence side is okay. It's the other side that, that struggles. Well, I, I, like Alex, I, I'm really trying to reframe it now so that mm. imposter syndrome isn't, isn't I shouldn't be here, it's I should be here. And I feel like this because I'm pushing myself into places that I've not been before. So it's a new place. It's not a place where I shouldn't be. It's absolutely where I should be. And I've just got to work through that and on to the next thing and the next thing. And I think as soon as you reframe that feeling from an imposter syndrome to the next level, the next challenge, pushing myself, if you can get your mindset, and I'm, I'm really making progress in my own head on that, I think that's when it actually stops being an impediment and holding you back and it starts to propel you forward. Hmm. I, I agree 100% with what you've said, Dave. I think I think that there's times when, and, and it might be that mindset where you think, actually, I am at this position, but people have asked me to say this or people have asked me to do this or I'm saying this because I've, because I've got to that position in my career or my life or whatever. So therefore... I am the per the right person to talk about this because if it was if I was the wrong person to talk about this, I wouldn't be in this position talking about it. If that makes sense, so you know you're 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 talking to your MD or whatever it may be. You are the right person to talk to him, and you are the right person to lead it because you are in the position that you're in, and you've worked incredibly hard to get to that point. And therefore, he's looking at you as his leader. You employ him, and he's looking at you as as his line manager, his, his, you know, his, his trusted employee, whatever you want to call it. 
and, and he's looking at you for guidance and you have to look at yourself and think, I've done incredibly well to get to this point and I get the humble bit, but you know what? I am the right person because I am that person. And mm. I suppose that's what I'm trying to say. It, it It's shifting that mindset, isn't it? To Am I the right person? To I am the right person. And it's just that, that little change. Yeah, it's having confidence in yourself and just you know, having conviction, not letting that falter your execution on what you need yeah. to do. And, you know, there might be times where you falter and you let that get the better of you. But next time you might be a bit better and then you just keep yeah. on chipping away. Yeah. You know, I couldn't, I, public speaking was one of my, I don't, I know I'm not a massive fan of it now, but I do so much of it now. But like, I remember when Gaz and I, we <laughs> We had a deal, our deals business, and every Friday we set a routine, or Thursday, I think it was, of, of sort of getting up in front of everyone, and it started with 10 people. I struggled to talk in front of like 10, many more than 10 people in, a, in, a, in like a room. I'd have my notebook, I'd go to the toilet 15 times before. It was flipping horrible. I used to hate it. Yeah. And I look back, I look to where I am now, and it's just, it is just practice. It's just, you just keep on chipping away. Like I've been in, done quite big talks now, not keynotes, but I've done lots of talks and yeah. it definitely gets easier. And again, that was imposter syndrome way back then that was affecting me. And now it's yeah. sort of, it's been the training and the help and the constant pushing myself out of my comfort zone has helped sort of achieve, um, you know, battle that in some respect. It, it, it to, to me, it's just a shift in two words. It, it's a shift in two words in a three-word sentence, and and it's the change from "am I" to "I am." Hmm. And 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 when people say, you know, and, and you think about yourself, so, "Am I?" And no, 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 you flip that and you say, "I am," and it literally is just flipping that, and and it's really difficult, but. When you take into account everything, you take into account your position, you take into account your job and, and what you've done and, and where you are in your business, you think, you know what? It's not, am I the right person for this? It's, I am the right person for this. And and, and it's just that shift in that tiny little two words. Mm. You just shift it around, shift the mindset and, and just be confident in your own ability to do that because you wouldn't be asked to be doing it if you weren't the right person. You hadn't worked hard to get to that position in the first place. It, so you know, for me, it's just that little shift. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. I think we've we've been down some interesting avenues tonight. Some of which we explored more thoroughly. Some of which we perhaps didn't expect to go down at all, but we did anyway. That's what we do on Tallboy Radio, as Gas said at the start when he mentioned the very prospect of a left turn. So. We're round about the hour mark now, which is where we choose to wrap the, the, these things up, just because I hate editing these episodes so, so much. But I need to thank you for coming on, Alex. Really, really appreciate everything that you've talked about tonight. It's been intriguing. I've loved hearing your opinions on stuff. I've loved hearing your background, and more so the stuff outside of work than the work stuff itself. Don't get me wrong, I enjoyed hearing that as well, but I'm always interested in the type of the person and the, the personality that sees those opportunities and exploits those opportunities, but understands them and recognises them. Like I say, as we talked a little bit there with the imposter syndrome and reflects upon it again afterwards, which I always think is really, really important. So did you want to say your goodbyes to our listeners? I did, yeah. No, honestly, thank you for inviting me, David. I didn't really know how this sort of worked and what the setup was, but it's been, um, it's been really interesting. I've really enjoyed having a thought-provoking and challenging sort of conversation and making my my head really think about some of the stuff I've been doing over the years. So thank you for sort of prizing that out and uh, I'm sharing everyone. So thank you for your time. No worries, no worries. And just to, just for the record, 191 episodes and we're still trying to fathom this all out as well ourselves. <laughs> Dave, did you want to say your thank yous and your goodbyes? Yeah, just thanks, Alex. Really appreciate you taking taking the time. And because you can't switch off from work, we did get some work in, didn't we? Talking about work, and and these guys, these guys, next time I see them, they still won't know what I do or you do, but they'll know who you are. So that that's that's a good thing. I don't know what Alex does. Do you know what Dave does? No idea. <laughs> no, listen, I've, you know, I've, I said at the start, thoroughly enjoy having guests on, you know, people that haven't been on the podcast before, just exploring the 
experience that they had, the mindset that they have. So again, massive, massive thank you to Alex to for, for, for joining us. Found it fascinating. And, and I say this with, with with some guests, not all guests. I would absolutely love to have Alex on again and just just perhaps try to prime him for some more information. As you said, Ad, about perhaps the person that sits behind the business and, and just experiences and where he thinks he's going to be in two years, three years, four years, five years' time. So um, until the next time. Indeed, right. indeed. And maybe we can use Alex to maybe just find out exactly what it is that Dave does. Well, maybe we just bypass Dave and just ask him. <laughs> <it. laughs> indeed, indeed. So I will like say thank you to Alex for joining us. Thank you to you folks out there for listening. And thank you to Dave and Gaz for providing some thought-provoking questions. And we wish you a good night. Mm-hmm.